and thank you for listening to the Conserve Yourself podcast. This is a summary of current events from a conservative perspective. We're here not to create an alternative to the leftist beliefs that are sweeping this country and world, but we're here to discuss our long-existing conservative principles and how we can apply those principles to a story or an event. So I want to help you as a conservative to think deeper on what's happening around us, as well as letting you know that you are not alone in your conservative beliefs. Well, here we are on the 10th episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's been a great first 10 episodes, and I look forward to kind of discussing today's principle. So I'm going to jump right into it. So today's conservative principle is to boldly live out your principles, the other conservative principles, unworried and unafraid by a world that will come against you. It's to boldly live out your life. We live in a time where the left fights really dirty. They lie, they cheat, and they cancel. They don't just go after your beliefs and principles, but they go after your family. They go after your livelihood. They go after you. And this has led many people to hide who they are and what they believe in fear of having this mob come against you. But we're here to live out our principles because we know that they make lives better. There are some reports that are as high as 20% of voters are uncomfortable saying who they'll vote for in the election. So I ask you, do you see anyone out there who is uncomfortable declaring that they're voting for Biden or Democrats in the election? How about this? Do you see any reason why anyone might be uncomfortable saying that they will vote for Trump or Republicans in the election? I don't think I have to really give an answer to these questions. They're very rhetorical because they kind of answer themselves in the world that we see on a day-to-day basis. Now, ignoring for the moment how this 20% quote unknown voters or this, this 20% that are uncomfortable talking about who they will vote for, in my mind, totally nullifies any poll you might see in the news. So we're going to ignore that for the moment. But do we really think anyone voting for Biden has any reservation telling their friends, their family, coworkers that fact? We are inundated with story after story of groups of people that will crash down on a person for saying that they might be voting for Trump or they might have a conservative mindset. Now hear me out. I'm not saying that we should go declaring from the building tops our choices in life or that other people are wrong in their thinking. Personal reservation is another conservative principle that we can cover in another podcast, but we're also called not to live in fear for the potential backlash keeping us from sharing the life-improving values of the conservative worldview. 
Now, I'm going to read a quote here, and much of our American cultural morality can be directly linked to a Christian morality. And much of the problems and issues that we have in our society today are actions and beliefs that directly go against Christian morality. So I'd like to read from the Bible. And it's one of the most famous passages in the New Testament in which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew 5. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're, you're probably still familiar with this passage. And here, Jesus is addressing the church, Christians. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now in this passage, Jesus is speaking to the Christian church, its people. He's telling them that you cannot just hide away and be nice little undercover Christians. But because Christians live in the truth and salvation and brings peace, comfort, and righteousness, we must bring that good news to the world. And others will see the good news of your bold life in your words, in your truth, and in your good works. Now this takes us to the biggest story of the day. And this week has been marked by the confirmation hearings of Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court Justice. Unlike an hour and a half debate, it's really difficult for anyone, including myself, to watch this process day in and day out. Hours and hours of attacks and crazy talk and arguing and posturing and politicizing. So YouTube is a really great resource to see the highlights, and I recommend that you always do your research. Go out there and see what's happening And I think that I'm truthfully summing up the hearing by saying that Judge Barrett is arguably the best and most well-rounded justice nomination that we've seen in a long time. She used no notes during the questioning, which led to a funny encounter where she was asked to hold up her notebook only to show nothing written on it. But this in no way meant that she was a lightweight. She easily handled every question every hostile questioner, with strength and boldness. She brilliantly held her own and at times really showed excellent debating skills as well as a vast legal intellect. So I want to show you one example exchange between Senator Amy Klobuchar and Judge Amy Barrett. One drum that was constantly beaten by the Democrats is that Barrett will reverse the decision of Roe v. Wade and, in effect, take women's rights back to the Stone Age. 
here we can see a vector or a or a, a particular area by Klobuchar trying to infer that Roe versus Wade, Roe v. Wade is deemed a super precedent, um, unable to be reevaluated by the court or shouldn't be reevaluated by the court. And so here, here's, here's that exchange. Okay, well, why don't we end there with precedent? I think that's a good way to end here. Um, so you wrote in your 2013 Texas Law Review article uh, that you tend to agree with the view that when a justice's best understanding of the Constitution conflicts with Supreme Court precedent or case law, it is, quote, more legitimate for her to follow her preferred view rather than apply the precedent. And I want to run through a few examples. So Brown v. Board of Education, as we know, that holds that the 14th Amendment prohibits states from segregating schools on the basis of race. So uh, is that precedent? Um, that, yes. That can't be overruled. Well, that is precedent. Um, mm -hmm. And as I think I said in that same article, it's super precedent. People consider it to be on that very small list of things that are so widely established and agreed upon by everyone. Mm -hmm. Calls for its overruling simply don't exist. Okay. Well, you also separately acknowledge that in uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the Supreme Court's controlling opinion talked about in the reliance interests on Roe v. Wade, which it treated in that case as super precedent. Is Roe a super precedent? How would you define super precedent? I, I, I actually, I might have. Thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here, so I'm asking okay, you. Okay. Well, people so. use super precedent differently. Okay. The way that it's used in the scholarship and the way that I was using it in the article that you're reading from was to define cases that are so well settled that no political actors and no people seriously push for their overruling. And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category. And scholars across the spectrum say that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled, but descriptively it does mean that it's a case, not a case that everyone has accepted and doesn't call for its overruling. I don't okay, think so here's, what, here's what's interesting to me. You said that Brown is, and I know my time is running out, is a super precedent. That's something uh, the Supreme Court has not even said, but you have said that. So if you say that, why won't you say that about Roe v. Wade, a case that the court's controlling opinion in that Planned Parenthood v. Casey case has described as a super precedent. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, well, Senator, I can just give you the same answer that I just did. I'm using a term in that article that is from the scholarly literature. It's actually one that was developed by scholars who are, you know, certainly not conservative scholars who take a more progressive approach to the Constitution. And again, you know, as, as Richard Fallon from Harvard said, Roe is not a super precedent because calls for its overruling have never ceased, but that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. It just means that it doesn't fall on the small handful of cases like Marbury versus Madison and Brown versus the board that no one questions anymore. Is United States for Virginia military, is that super precedent? Senator Klobuchar, if you continue to ask questions about super precedents that aren't on the list of the super precedents that I discussed in the article that are well acknowledged in the constitutional law literature, every time you ask the question, I will have to say that I can't grade it. Okay. Well, I am then left with looking at the tracks of your record and where it leads the American people. 
And I think it leads us to a place that's going to have severe repercussions for them. Thank you. So it's, it's interesting how that, that comes to the, always comes to Roe, but Barrett naturally and boldly handled those questions. But I, I don't want to focus too much on that because almost every question and answer that was, that was presented, Barrett handled just as thoroughly. But I want to turn now to two other clips. And as the hearing moves on, it goes to outside witnesses. And we see two distinctive types of witnesses. On the Republican side, or what you might say is the, the, the pro-Barrett side, we see witnesses who describe how Amy Coney Barrett left a lasting positive impact on their lives by her word and her good works. And on the Democrat side, you're not going to see anyone that comes directly against Barrett other than you're going to hear from uh, those who, ha- who will be negatively impacted if Barrett somehow creates or, or takes away, per- quote, protections by her rulings if she becomes a justice. So there's no, there's no direct opposition to Barrett. And even some Democrats are saying that she's, such as Feinstein is saying that she's actually very impressive during these hearings. But the next clip we're going to hear is by Laura Walk, who is a former student of Barrett. And if you will allow me, I'm going to play this clip in its entirety, which is about five minutes. But I think that you will you will gain an appreciation to the remarks by, by Laura Wolk. My name is Laura Wolk, and I am a former student and mentee of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. In part because of her unwavering support, I am the first blind woman to serve as a law clerk on the Supreme Court of the United States. It is now my immense privilege to appear before you in support of Judge Barrett's nomination to that same great institution. You have heard over the past few days about Judge Barrett's judicial qualities, which are beyond reproach. But should you confirm Amy Barrett, the country will receive something far greater than simply an unparalleled legal mind. It will gain the service of one of the kindest individuals I have ever known. Her brilliance is matched only by her compassion and her integrity is unassailable. I'm not speaking in mere abstractions here. Rather, I have experienced these characteristics firsthand with life-changing results. Because I am completely blind, I rely heavily on assistive technology to compete on a level playing field with my sighted peers. Before arriving at Notre Dame Law School in 2013, I worked hard to ensure that the university would purchase backup copies of the technology I use. But upon arrival, I discovered that bureaucratic glitches left me without access to that technology. And on cue, my personal laptop immediately began to fail. Overnight, I found myself struggling to keep up in class, falling increasingly behind with each passing hour. I needed help, and I needed it fast. I'd been Judge Barrett's student only for a few weeks, but her graciousness and warmth gave me hope that she could provide me with that assistance. 
Even so, I maintained relatively low expectations. Based on my past experience, I assumed that Judge Barrett would simply direct me to the proper bureaucratic channels, which could still take weeks, if not longer, to navigate. But Judge Barrett did something altogether different. She silently listened with deep attention as I explained my situation, giving me the freedom to let down my guard and come apart. As a disabled person, I am accustomed to acting as if I have everything under control, when in reality the world feels like it is spinning out from under me. But in front of Judge Barrett, I was able to let the mask slip and indeed to disappear completely. I poured out all my concerns, not just about technology and my worries about failing classes, but all the burdens I currently carried as a disabled woman navigating a brand new environment. When I finished, Judge Barrett leaned forward and looked at me intently. Laura, she said, with the same measured conviction that we have seen displayed throughout her entire nomination process, this is no longer your problem, it's my problem. I can't capture adequately the relief that washed over me at her words. Her offer was rare enough in its own right, but even when such offers are extended, many unfortunately do not follow through. It's, it's hard to trust an offer of assistance, no matter how desperately it is needed or earnestly it is given. Not so with Judge Barrett. Anyone who has interacted with her knows that she is a woman of her word. She means what she says, and she says what she means. When she promised to advocate for me, she commanded my trust. To this day, I do not know what Judge Barrett did to solve my problem, itself a testament to her humility. All I know is that the technology arrived promptly, which in turn allowed me to excel and to place me in a position that would eventually allow me to apply for a clerkship on the Supreme Court. This encounter was the first in which Judge Barrett demonstrated the depth of her generous spirit, but it was far from the last. She has remained a constant source of strength, encouragement, and solace as I have pursued professional and personal opportunities with no roadmap to guide me. Through her mentorship, she has given me a gift of immeasurable value, the ability to live an abundant life with the potential to break down barriers so that I can leave this world a better place than I found it. Though I am here today to share with you my story, the very best aspect of that story is that it is hardly unique. Those who have had the benefit of knowing Amy Coney Barrett understand that she possesses a boundless font of energy and a radical sense of love that she is ever ready to pour out upon those lucky enough to call her teacher, boss, family, and friend. Judge Barrett will serve this country with distinction, not only because of her intellectual prowess, but also because of her ability to treat everyone as an equal, deserving of complete respect. As a beneficiary of both of these qualities, I urge you to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court of the United States. Thank you. Now, does that sound like the story of someone who is going to take women's rights back? Does it sound like the story of someone who is out for prideful reasons, for uh, self-centered reasons? Does it sound like someone evil, as many might say, or as a puppet 
to others? I don't think so. It's probably one of the most inspirational stories that have come out of this week. One of genuine honesty. A behind-the-scenes look of a bold life shining a light and using their good works and their honest, truthful words to improve the lives of those around them. Now in this final clip, I'm wa- we're going to hear from Amy Coney Barrett herself as she answers the question from Senator Liz- Lindsey Graham as to why she accepted the nomination to be a Supreme Court justice. How does it feel to be nominated for the Supreme Court of the United States? Um, well, Senator, I've tried to be on a media blackout for the sake of my mental health, but you know, you can't keep yourself walled off from everything, and I'm aware of a lot of the caricatures that are floating around. So I think what I would like to say in response to that question is that, um, look, I've made distinct choices. I've decided to pursue a career and have a large family. I have a multiracial family. Our faith is important to us. Um, All of those things are true, but they are my choices. And in my personal interactions with people, I mean, I have a life brimming with people who've made different choices, and I've never tried in my personal life to impose my choices on them. And the same is true professionally. I mean, I apply the law. And, and Senator, I think um, I should say why I'm sitting in this seat in response to that question, too why I've agreed to be here, because I don't think it's any secret to any of you or to the American people that this is a really difficult, some might say excruciating, process. Um, And Jesse and I had a very brief amount of time to make a decision with momentous consequences for our family. We knew that our lives would be combed over for any negative detail. We knew that our faith would be caricatured. We knew our family would be attacked. And so we had to decide whether those difficulties would be worth it because what sane person would go through that if there wasn't a benefit on the other side? And the benefit, I think, is that I'm committed to the rule of law and the role of the Supreme Court in dispensing equal justice for all. And I'm not the only person who could do this job, but I was asked and it would be difficult for anyone. So why should I say someone else should do the difficulty if the difficulty is the only reason to say no, I should serve my country? And my family's all in on that because they share my belief in the rule of law. Well, thank you. So it's interesting. She put herself in a media blackout. Sometimes we just have to ignore the things that are said against us. She realized that it was going to be a hard road, that it's not easy but that she, she had a drive for the rule of law, for righteousness, for justice. These are admirable things to go for. These are, are deep, deep convictions being acted upon in a very harsh situation and she lived boldly 
So again, today's conservative principle is to live out your life boldly. To live boldly your principles, unworried and unafraid by a world that will come against you. Block them out as Judge Barrett has done. Firmly stand your ground when they come right at you. And let your good works and your truth for those who need you speak to a, to a watching world. Live boldly. Well, that concludes this podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today on our 10th podcast. We're going to do a lot more. We plan to release a new podcast every Tuesday and Friday morning. I look forward to encouraging you and reminding you that you are not alone in your conservative worldview. And so, until next time, always remember to conserve yourself.